America, Washington, D.C., signing on. When the Santa's Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. I, of course, am NC Scout, the best-selling author of The Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio and The Gorilla's Guide to Signals Intelligence, both of which can be found on Amazon.com. They're co- both currently number one bestsellers in their respective categories. Uh, Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio is number one bestseller in three different categories, which is crazy. Uh, still, you know, we're we're uh, 14 months from its publishing date, and it's still rocking and rolling. Of course, you can also find it over at BrushBeater.store, along with a lot of other really cool products. Right now, I am greatly expanding the thermal and night vision lineup, and I'm going to be d- talking about this more uh, later on. Um, we're going to, we're going to be diving into, I didn't do any podcasts over the weekend. I'm going to be talking about why that is later on. Um, but, uh, in, in a later podcast, cause we're doing a, a killer interview right now, but, um, expanding the product line, you know, the mission of brushbeater.store has always been to equip you in, in as many ways as possible. And with night vision, and thermal, a lot of times there's a, 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 for a lot of people, there's a huge hurdle to jump there. Uh, when you're getting into, especially Gen 3 night vision and very high-end thermal, which we offer with brushbeater.store. But I had a lot of you out there that reached out to me and said, hey, you know, is there any way that you could meet us on the 10-yard line with stuff that maybe isn't top-tier equipment, but still very serviceable affordable, you know, a a lot of times people's uh, finances aren't necessarily uh, conducive to buying all the latest and greatest equipment. And hey, I feel you. Um, I'm right there with you. And so we're going to be offering through AGM uh, and um, they, they put out some really, really good equipment. Their thermal is outstanding, a lot of bang for the buck, but some Gen 2 units. Um, we're going to be offering here very soon. They are on order. They should be in this week. Uh, they're probably going to come in during the scout and recce course, which is, uh, starting on Friday and rolling through, uh, next Wednesday. But, um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited for these to get out there because a lot of you have asked for it coming in at a price point, uh, right at I think the green tube Gen 2 units are coming in just over seventeen hundred dollars. 
So if you're looking to get into night vision, you don't necessarily have a budget or can justify Gen 3 equipment or a lot of the white phosphor stuff that, that's super high end out there. Listen, I, I believe very strongly in buying what you can afford. And maybe that's not necessarily uh, always the top tier equipment. However, if you are in the market for, you know, very high end equipment, we have that as well. Everything all the way up to PVS 31s in stock. Um, so uh, exciting times. Uh, a lot of products that, that are, are being brought to market. And we've got some innovation that, that, that I'm really excited for that I'm not even announcing yet. Uh, but chess rig designs, radio pouches, we've got, I mean, we're going to be rocking and rolling 2024. A lot of people are like, man, 2024 is going to be crazy. All this stuff going on in the world. Well, let me tell you, brush beater dice store. I am rising to the challenge. All right. Rising to the challenge. That's what we've got to do. So we've got freeze dried food. We have got freeze-dried food from a couple of manufacturers now. Uh, our good friends out at Peak Refuel out in Utah, an amazing company. Uh, we've got Heaven's Harvest now. Uh, Brother Clayton down in Georgia hooked us up and uh, just talked to him yesterday, matter of fact, and uh, getting more products in. So we've got bulk freeze-dried food. We've got number 10 cans. We've got it all. Uh, so anyway, brushbeater.store, some of the best prices on all of that that you can find on the net, hands down, bar none, and it is bringing equipment to the masses. Anyway, enough of that said, today I am joined by my great friend and always a great guest, Matt Williams of Knightsbridge Intelligence coming in here We're gonna we, we're going to be breaking down a few things, the revelations from Iran. Uh, there was some interesting stuff that came out over the weekend while everybody was paying attention to everything else. Uh, so there's been some 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 new things that Iran is putting out to the world, and that also uh, th there's there's stuff that's going on with the border, and there's been some revelations, some new uh, brought up to date information on the Chinese and the CCP on the border. So without further ado, brother, it's great to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's always great to to chat with you and uh, to be on the show. I, you, there's a lot going on in the world. I tell you, um, even with my hectic travel travel schedule lately, um, the the stuff that my team is turning out and scraping up and finding it, it just seems like the pace of uh, conflict zones, the pace of risk, uh, the international developments are really pretty astounding. And that doesn't even get into what's happening even here in the United States, right? So there's there's periods of time where you can just see uh, accelerated movements. And I think that we're in one of those periods right now. So I'm looking forward to, to diving in to, to all of those topics with you today. Yeah, man. Right off the, the top of the list, Iran. Iran is, is pretty tight-lipped about capabilities, but they're very adept at telling the world what they specifically want to know. Right. Or, or what they, they want us to know, rather, because they're advertising, yes. they're throwing it out there. And this this development that they have unveiled their shipping container missiles, their Club K missiles. Right. Um, this is something that that several outlets have been talking about for years, um, you know, but it was it, and it, not just related to Iran. 
uh, a lot of uh, a lot of noise was made about China. This is nothing new, uh, at least for us, because we've had this capability for a long, long time. Um, you know, putting, putting missiles, putting, you know, uh, using shipping containers as launcher platforms. This is not really a, a new, uh, concept, but the fact that Iran is doing it and they're telling the world, Hey, we've got this, we've mastered this technology, or at least they're saying they've mastered it. Um, they're advertising it to the world, you know, an enemy typically isn't going to tell you what they're going to do until they're ready to do something about it. Um, they don't necessarily telegraph their actions beforehand unless they're ready to act on it. How are you guys interpreting this revelation and what does this mean for us? Yeah. I mean the, the video that, that they released um, showing two missiles being launched from a shipping container uh, it's pretty interesting. It's only a few seconds long. Um, so there, there's only so much you can glean from it. Um, I, I would say that the the launches looked very clean, very successful, no issues that you can really detect there. Um, so I would consider it a successful launch. Um, I, I wish that the video had started with moving the missiles, it, the missiles themselves and their uh, they're launching mechanisms out of the container first before <laughs> launching. Uh, we didn't get that part. They didn't release anything on, on that that piece. But just from analyzing the the entire apparatus, right, uh, including the missiles themselves sitting by those containers, it looked pretty obvious that these could fit inside the shipping containers, which were open right next to the missiles um, as they launched. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd consider this highly probable that they have a functional system. It's possible. It's within the realm of possibility um, that they don't quite have the bugs worked out yet. Um, Iran does have a tendency to um, announce military capabilities slightly before they actually have them or when they're not actually ready for the field. There's no specific indicators that these missile systems are in that category, but you kind of you always have to have that in the back of your head, right? When you're dealing with Tehran, um, ultimately, you know these systems are are extremely dangerous just by their very nature because of how concealable they are. Um, you know, I would not at all be surprised to see a couple of additional launches uh, that are very publicized uh, by the leadership there in uh, in Tehran over the next you know, couple of months, just to prove that this was not a one-off, right? Sometimes you can do something once, but then you can't duplicate it. And, and I, I would expect at least an, one more test of this. I would also expect uh, knowing how uh, the, the leadership in Iran likes to play things on a geopolitical level, they really enjoy uh, throwing as much um, strategic ambiguity as they possibly can into their operations. So for example, it wouldn't shock me at all to see Iranian ships with shipping containers prominently visible, <laughs> right? In and around the Red Sea, the Persian Gulf, even if they're empty, just to throw the idea out there. And this is something that won't make the media, right? But we'll find it on Telegram or wherever it crops up. Right. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see some fairly grainy camera footage from who knows who of an Iranian vessel with a couple of containers on it. Iran loves that stuff. And, and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, if I was Israel, I'd be pretty worried about this. 
Um, I, you know, it's it's a concern for us here in the United States as well. Less of a concern, I would say, than than Israel. Um, but ultimately, you know, when you've got weapon systems that can be so easily concealed in something as ubiquitous as a shipping container, that's that's a dangerous thing. And, you know, most nations, most developed nations uh, have some kind of plan to do this, to containerize missiles. Um, right. It's safe to assume that China, Russia, um, the U.S., obviously, um, probably France, probably the U.K., now Iran, um, all have the ability to do that or are close because it's not that complicated. And why the heck wouldn't you? Right. So, you know, moving forward, uh, if Iran can do it, um, North Korea will learn from them how to if North Korea can't already do it. Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me to see these become a lot more common in the Middle East and, and among nations that uh, may have not developed this ability on their own. But Iran's going to pass this around, you know, and, and you could see all types of groups with these with this ability. So it, a dangerous thing for sure. Uh, it was only a matter of time, right, until right. they rolled out this ability. This is like I said, it's not that complicated um, to, to develop something like this. Um, but. You know, it looks like we have, I would not say full confirmation, but something very close to that at this point that they've that they've figured it out. Yeah. And and what's the likelihood that the Russians had direct input on this? Because we know yeah. that that Russia and Iran share technology. Um, they they have a, a very strong military alliance, especially at this point. Um mm-hmm. If they didn't prior to, uh, we'll say 2014, they absolutely do now. Um, you know, 10 years down the road, and, and I think that those ties are only going to get stronger between them. And we can absolutely factor the Chinese into that too, just as you pointed out. Um, yeah. with that said, North Korea, because North Korea is, is kind of a, a country that I think a lot of people have turned their eye away from in the the geopolitical uh happenings mm-hmm. what's the likelihood that they have this technology too because uh, north korea has been the focal point uh, traditionally of a lot of missile development technology that yeah. has been handed off to iran yeah so uh, to answer your first question i think russia pr- is very likely to have had uh, a significant role to play in iran finalizing the tech right maybe not starting the the process but you know if if it needed some adjustment if they needed a little more expertise um russia probably helped with that um as as far as north korea i mean here's the thing about north korea when they're developing new tech new missile tech um they are they always talk about it (laughs) they they can't keep their mouth shut right i mean out of all the nations you you would think would be secretive about missile development and missile technology it's, it's north korea and they're and they're not um that they, they man as soon as they've got something that's halfway functional you're going to get a video with kim jong-un you know overlooking and testing and all this stuff like they love the to release the propaganda so that's not to say that they wouldn't um be much more secretive about certain programs because I'm, you know, their nuclear program, they're a little more secretive, but ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, man, they, they trumpet that every time they, they run a test. 
so having said that, my guess is that right now, North Korea probably does not have um, the appropriate hardware. I don't think they have that capability right now because based upon their history, based upon even very recent history, this is something that falls squarely in the category of um, heavy publication if they did it. Why they would be secretive about that specific um technology I, I don't know it would not fit with uh the regime in north korea to keep that under wraps um ultimately yeah. they'll have the tech i mean russia's got it china's got it iran's got it north korea's gonna have it that's just how it works right those four um work together pretty closely on on military technology and missiles and everything else um so if they don't currently they will and when they do you know the world will probably know about it that's that's my perspective on that anyway. And with that said, there's probably a lot of listeners out there that are wondering, well, well just why the heck is this technology so dangerous? Um, why is this? And, and I wouldn't even necessarily call it technology because mounting, mounting an intermediate missile inside of a shipping container mm-hmm. is not exactly groundbreaking technology. No, like, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. a technique and a procedure. Uh, sure. th- this is a, a, a tactical employment of a weapon that that the employment itself is is actually the danger that that's actually mm-hmm. the threat. So take us through what that threat is. Yeah, I mean the, the real threat is that uh, you can have a, an enemy nation um, who can have significant firepower on a civilian ship on a shipping, you know, on a, on a container ship. And these ships are everywhere. I mean, get on any website that, that tracks naval activity, right? A vessel, uh, you know, any of these vessel tracker websites and just look at how many shipping containers are out there right now. It's, it's, it can be mind blowing if you've never looked at it before. <laughs> there's just, there's thousands upon thousands surrounding yeah. ev- on every cut co- on it, off every coast. So it, if like, you have, yeah, go ahead. The guys that that watch ADSB, that you know, the, uh-huh. those autistic cats that, that sit there and watch <laughs> that, like I'm telling you, tracking boats, that's a whole other animal, man. Like it is, whoa. yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, it is, absolutely. So when you've got something as ubiquitous as a container ship, and you've got some a weapon system that can fit in one of these containers. Uh, it could be anywhere in the world and it'd be almost impossible to to immediately detect without physically opening up the container, which which isn't going to happen at sea. So if you're China, Russia, Iran, anybody else, like you can get right up against uh, the maritime border of an unfriendly nation and and go to town and, and hit especially like high value targets and things like that. Right. Um, it's not that you're going to. Uh, devastate a large city unless you nuclear tip them, which is possible for for intermediate uh, missiles like that. Um, so you can you can hit military installations, you can hit um, government structures, military facilities of any kind. You can hit other ships. I mean, there's a lot that you could do with these containerized systems, and the odds of you being able to get very close to your target are extremely high, without a without any suspicion. Um, just because container ships are everywhere. And so that's the real danger is that you get an, an unforeseen close range strike uh, that takes out uh, some type of critical military infrastructure 
uh, in your nation, right? That's the danger. Now, if you get into the nuclear realm where it's nuclear tip, A, a little bit easier to detect a nuclear weapon, even inside a container. Um, if you've got the right tech pointed in the right direction at the right time, which is, you know, odds of that are fairly low anyway, right? Um, and you can do, there's shielding and things you can do, right, to, to help mitigate that. But if you nuclear tip it, it's an entirely different ballgame. I don't think Iran can nuclear tip anything right now. Um, no. if they, I think they have crude nuclear technology, um, but they're not miniaturizing a, a nuclear warhead at this point, right, to fit on something like that. Other countries can. You know, Russia or China certainly could. Um, North Korea probably cannot at this point. But but 10 years into the future, right, who knows? I mean, North Korea and Iran are both on certain trajectories and they could nuclear tip them at some point. So all in all, this is kind of a um, uh, it's a strategic option for these countries where if there is some type of direct conflict with the United States in the future, they have the at least some baseline ability to strike uh, from close in and from a civilian ship. Um, where we're and we're just not going to be able to a uh know it's coming most likely unless the in, uh, intelligence is is just that good which i have questions about um and then b once once those are launched from presumably quite close in right then we're not going to be able to do anything to, to 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 shoot those down it's just too close not enough time etc i mean you could have a container ship sitting in port you're right in seattle for example and launch from, you know, from port. So there's nothing you're going to do. Those are going to hit their targets at that point. So it's it's a it's a dangerous thing for sure. I'm not projecting that that's going to happen. By the way, <laughs> this is not uh, right. this is not a prediction. It's just uh, kind of an explanation of the capabilities and the danger in general. It's I think that the the greatest danger, to, just to dovetail what you're saying, the greatest danger that it presents, especially with Iran advertising this this capability and and mm -hmm. for me more so it's a technique than it is a, a capability they're they're literally saying to our navy mm -hmm. in the persian gulf and in the red sea hey you know we we can have shipping vessels that are going to roll right up on you inside of your reactionary gap you know right. to me i think that that's that's the biggest threat with this, that's what's being advertised. Um, and for the Israeli government, you know, the port of Haifa as well, mm -hmm. uh, having a, a shipping container vessel roll right up in there and open up, um, you know, it, and, and I think that, that that example may be a little dramatic at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe six months down the road, maybe, maybe not so much. Um, sure. You know, just, just right now, I think that that's a little dramatic, but them rolling up on, on a destroyer, at least within that reactionary gap, I mean, keep in mind, you know, the Houthis have been fairly successful at their techniques and mm -hmm. they're a, a mostly unsophisticated adversary. Uh, they haven't scored a direct right. hit yet on, on a destroyer. But they came real doggone close not that long ago, because uh, anytime the Sea Whiz gets activated, right? You know, you, you're. It, I think that was uh, right. <laughs> over a week ago, oh, uh, almost two weeks yeah, ago now. It uh, so, yeah, it was uh, eleven days, I think. 
Yeah, something like that. But yes, yeah. that was a close call. <laughs> yeah. Me. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and, and hats off to the crew of that vessel. I mean, those boys have been in 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 the fight now for months. Um, and, and they're doing they're doing a great job, but uh, man, it, it's you know it, it, it I I think that it's a matter of time rather than you know well if if this could happen now I I, I think it's a it's a win at this point yeah. and um, Iran advertising this capability is a further escalation. I think at this point, it is much more than saber rattling. Um, and when you couple that with the U.S. announcing that it is pulling out of operations in Syria and in uh, uh, Western Iraq, uh, you know, it, it, we're, 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 it, it, it's just, it, it's, it's all part of a larger whole. Um, you know, th- this is, this is certainly not looking good. You know, uh, shifting gears a little bit that, that is still kind of related to all this, um, the border situation. Of course, uh, the House has voted to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, the, uh, uh, the DHS secretary. Um, he's, he's needed to, to be gone for a long time now. This is kind of a political football I don't think that he's leaving his post. Uh, the Senate is certainly not going to get rid of him, um, especially not. It, it, this is a very symbolic thing. I think House Republicans have finally realized they need to do something. This isn't changing the fact that uh, our border situation is completely out of control. Uh, it's completely out of control. This has everything to do with Iran because we know that Hezbollah has inserted a lot of people here into the United States. They're probably continuing to do so. And, you know, we, we, we have all of these intersecting factors, right? We know that Iran has a, a close friendship uh, as well as military ties with China. And we have a report that has come out from DHS, very same DHS under Alejandro Mayorkas, mm-hmm. which has said that, you know, oh, there's no problem. There's, you know, we only need to let in 5,000 a day, so on and so forth. Um, but DHS has admitted now that they have a complete inability to vet the people that are coming across the border and that Chinese migrants, along with Iranians, along with people from a lot of other places, including Russia, have come across the border, and they do have links, surprise, surprise, to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, The Border Patrol chief has warned this to uh, the Homeland Security Committee in the House. Uh, They did this in a closed-door meeting last year that it has now been disclosed. Uh, So all these, these things that we're seeing now about the border, we've known about for a long period of time. This isn't tinfoil hat. This isn't, um, you know, we're, we're making a big deal out of something that's not. No, it, this this is serious stuff. Um, what's y'all's take on that? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot there. So first of all, I agree with you that Mayorkas is not going to be impeached in the Senate. The House got him by one vote. It was 214 to 213. And the Republicans more or less control the House, uh, barely, but still have already, right? So, yeah, it's squeaked by in the House. I don't think it's going to make it in the Senate. It's kind of dead on arrival. So it's a largely a symbolic gesture. 
Um, now, as far as the actual, you know, situation at the southern border, I think I think several things can be simultaneously true. So, first of all, I think the vast majority, specifically of Chinese who are coming across the border, are those who previously worked on projects in Latin America. Every time China does, uh, you know, signs a, a new deal in in LATAM uh, for an infrastructure project, part of the deal is they have to bring in x number of chinese workers so you've got i mean estimates are there's a half a million chinese in venezuela alone and much less everywhere else right so you've got a lot of chinese in latin america already um, that maybe they've completed their infrastructure projects china doesn't really want them back right china's got issues of its own it, it's got too many surplus male men. population it's got too many men it's got too many yeah. young men you know men between 20 and 40 and so china doesn't really facilitate their transfer back into china at that point and so you you know in that situation and, and considering the economics of most latin american nations are not exactly great then moving north into the u.s kind of makes sense so from a probability perspective um, I think it's very likely that that's where the majority of these immigrating Chinese are from. Right. And that's the, the situation there. Now, that's that's one thing that I believe to be true. On the other hand, uh, you can also hold and I think it it would be wise to hold this position that China would be um, absolutely foolish not to be sending some operatives in with those crowds. Right. Probabilities are extremely high that that's happening. I, I almost can't imagine why it wouldn't. Right. I mean, imagine if the situation was reversed. Imagine if there was mass immigration into China and you've got many thousands of Americans a day crossing into China across one of its borders. You know right. what the U.S. would be doing. We would absolutely be sending uh, all types of agents in with those crowds. So probabilities are extremely high. Uh, near 100%, I would say, that our enemies, not just China, uh, but but Russia and Iran and, and Hezbollah, et cetera, et cetera, are doing the exact same thing. So ultimately, you know, is, is every Chinese citizen coming across the border an agent? No. Are the majority? Probably not. Um, you know, but there's got to be some. It's just just logically, there's got to be some. Exactly. So we're setting ourselves up for a situation here where if or when hostile nations determine um, it, it's time to take direct action against the United States, maybe that's when China starts a blockade against Taiwan. Uh, who knows? In, any real situation out there that's dangerous, the, the expectation at this point should be that you're going to have foreign agents on American soil wreaking havoc. That's that's just that should be the expectation. And I don't think that that's in any way a conspiracy theory i don't think that's tenfold hat i think when you look at the data and the evidence when you think about things using situational logic when you deal with your own you know cultural bias when you go through the process right you go through the process we use at knightsbridge the conclusion is overwhelmingly that china and other nations are going to have at least some ability to strike inside the united states with agents that have been coming across the border for a long time and a lot of them flew in, right? A lot of them have visas, right? It's not that they're all coming in across the southern border, but but if China and Taiwan come to blows, and I think they will at some point um, in the next decade, more most likely a lot sooner than a decade out, 
when that happens, if the U.S. response is in any way supportive of Taiwan, I think you're going to have issues domestically because of those agents. And I think you're going to have major issues um, with infrastructure due to cyber attacks, et cetera. That leads into a much longer conversation uh, that we don't necessarily have to have today. But China, yeah. Russia, these, these countries have significant capabilities in the cyber realm and also with whatever number of agents they've managed to get in you know, through our open borders. Exactly. As well as the ones who are already here as part of right. technological theft, which is huge, industrial espionage, which is huge. And that's been going on for, you know, 40 years at least. But yes. to dovetail the, the, the point that, that you were bringing up, uh, we have the MITRE CTO, uh, Charles Clancy, this is uh, coming via Twitter. There was a report that was put out uh, that we can expect a major Chinese attack on critical infrastructure within the next three years. Uh, within the next three years, we can expect a cyber attack all the way up to a physical offensive attack. Um, now he's citing, uh, a lot of the, the recent water system attacks that have happened, um, substation attacks that have happened. A lot of these have been electronic, but we know that the, that physical attacks have occurred as well. Um, can't really point those towards the Chinese here in the United States, at least to my right. knowledge, uh, uh, that's been conducted by leftists. Um, that that's, that's what they've been doing, but we don't know that, that they haven't had ties to the Chinese communist party as well as the Russians. I contend that they do. Um, I don't have hard evidence of that, but traditionally, uh, knowing operations that, that both the Russians, uh, have run historically here in the United States, as well as, uh, the Chinese, it's a pretty good likelihood that they at least have some ties to those militant leftist uh, actors here in the United States uh, that will be conducting this. But with that report, which you no doubt have seen it, um, mm -hmm. within three years, that's kind of an alarming time frame. Although I would say that given what we know and what we now know, what we've seen um, and what we have anecdotal examples of, I'd say that that time frame could be bumped up quite a bit sooner than three years. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. We um, we wrote fairly extensively about this in the um, hotspot report on the 12th, uh, February 12th. It, you know, the warning is his warning, generally speaking, is not necessarily unique. It's his timeline that's unique. Um, you, you've got really over the last 12 months or so. You have all types of CEOs, executives from a variety of firms. You've got a lot of folks in government who are kind of banging the drum here, right? And their warnings are growing more dire. Like at Knightsbridge, we trends is what we do. We we uncover trends, we follow trends, we analyze trends, we look at what's next in that trend line, and that that's the war zones and everything else. And so when you look at the trend, there's trends in everything. And if you look at the statements that are being made, the trend is up and to the right as far as the intensity and the nature of those warnings. Does that mean something? It does. 
I think it does. I think that it means something that you've got all of these execs and, and government officials who are uh, issuing a warning. And then a month later, it's more dire. And a month after that, it's more dire. It's an indicator, right? Um, so yeah, I think the threat is is increasing. And, and we're seeing that, you know, on the ground, so to speak, uh, as well, that the that China really shifted its focus at the beginning of last year with its state linked hacking groups. So it's been corporate espionage forever for, for, you know, 20 years plus uh, that China's really been focused on. They've been focused on stealing uh, economic secrets, right? Is really what they've been going after all most of their, I shouldn't say all, most of their cyber activity has been economically motivated. The majority for, for as long as they've done it. Right. Um, and that changed pretty dramatically, uh, really around the, the new year, uh, last in 2023. Um, and so, you know, now you've got about, uh, 13, 14 months of this shift in dynamic and what they're doing now is they're very, very focused on, uh, critical infrastructure, military and government. And if you put those three things together and kind of project into the future what China's likely to do with Taiwan, I would say that the it's very clear that their cyber efforts have shifted from economic to military. Right. That the trend is now military uh, in nature. Um, and, and, you know, I, I am not a uh, necessarily an expert in cybersecurity. I've got some folks on my team, though, who are. And so I, I stand on their shoulders a bit, uh, and and they're analyzing this every single day for us. Um, one gentleman's been in cybersecurity for 35 years, uh, and it's phenomenal in this space. And this is what he's telling me is is hey the the threat has greatly uh, has greatly accelerated because the shift in focus, and also because of the operational tempo. That's the second piece to that is that you're seeing more attempts, more capable uh, attempts, and it's all heavily targeted. So I, I tend to agree with um, uh, C.T. Lancy, who is the, the gentleman uh, making those statements that, yeah, the threat's changed. Um, I do think that China currently has the ability to launch an all-out infrastructure attack like he was referring to. Um, I, I would endorse that point of view. Uh, as far as the three-year time frame. Uh, that's a tough one because I think it, it's difficult to project anything three years into the future. I don't think it probable that there is an all out infrastructure attack like this against the United States, unless there are significant external factors. First, I don't think China leads with yeah. this just from a logical thinking through Chinese strategy, how they like to operate. I, I don't see that as being very likely. Um, never say never. <laughs> um, I, I don't like to say never. I don't like to say all. <laughs> so, you know, never say never. But at the same time, uh, if the situation around Taiwan goes hot, then I think it's very logical and reasonable to assume that China flexes on the U.S., um, either as a deterrent, if you get involved, here's a sample of what the cost is going to be, or if yeah. the U.S. immediately gets involved, then I think that the operational tempo goes much higher. So, you know, if you see one day that the blockade of Taiwan has begun, 
and also, you know, 10, 12 water treatment plants go down. <laughs> or maybe uh, you've got some issues in the grid for a couple of states, something like that. You got some uh, telecommunications networks that go down. You know, you see some moderate level of cyber activity against critical infrastructure. That's probably going to be China telling the U.S. get involved and we'll do this everywhere. Right. Um, that, that's my baseline expectation at this point is that, that that's how China wants to use these capabilities. They don't want to launch a, an unexpected broadside against the U.S. Because the U.S. is the best in the world in the cyber realm when it comes to offense. And it's not close. China's got a lot of capabilities. We have a lot more yeah. than China or Russia. Um, Russia's actually probably second in the world. China's, in my opinion, would be third. And that's the opinion of my team as well. So if China determines that cyber is the way to go, it's, it's coming back their way and probably stronger than, than they, you know, initially you're, you're going to have a ladder an, es an escalation ladder type situation in the cyber realm if they start. Right. So I don't think they're going to start unless they really feel like they have, uh, a, a, unless there's a necessity there, um, in Beijing's estimation. Well, and they'd have so much to lose too. You know, yes. it, it, this is the thing that I think a lot of people miss when they talk about a, a, the prospects of potential war with China is the economic fallout. A lot of times we we get dialed in on the economic fallout here in the United States, which would be dire. Mm -hmm. I'm not underplaying that at all. However, it would be mutually catastrophic, if not even more so for the Chinese. Uh, so, yes, uh, you know, when just, just to uh, back up exactly what you were saying about uh, it would have to be something external, um, a potential war, uh, Taiwan being a flashpoint, and it likely will be uh, this this most recent funding bill uh, that they've they have now added Taiwan to the mix. There's there's a lot of other things about Taiwan that I can't necessarily disclose, uh, but we're th that. That will be a point of contention. It's a hundred percent. We're on that path. Um, you know, I, I don't think that there's any getting off of that train uh, unless that there there is some sort of political solution. Uh, but based on Taiwan's most recent election, uh, that's not really looking likely either. Uh, so yeah. it's yeah, the it's, trend is intact. <laughs> yeah, um, it, you know, and and China. Above all else, and, and people kind of sound surprised sometimes when I point this out, China wants a stable trading partner. Yes. Um, primarily, above all else, that that is what uh, they they that that's really what they want. So I would think that even while we can expect attacks, cyber attacks, as well as as other critical infrastructure attacks, direct attacks, physical attacks on them. Uh, sabotage. I'm not so certain that China in and of itself, that that would be their first option or they, they would really even uh, want that at this point, because any destabilization of the United States threatens them uh, directly economically. Uh, the yeah. Russians, on the other hand, different story, complete different story with them. Um, but, 
you know, that probably is a better topic for another day because that's a rabbit hole yeah. we could go deep down. And, and yeah, the Russians absolutely yeah. could do that, and it that would in fact benefit them quite a bit. Yeah, just to add a little bit of data to that too. Um, Bloomberg did a pretty extensive report a few weeks back on the hit to the global economy if China and Taiwan were to, to go to war. And they essentially estimated 10% of global GDP would be lost. That's a that's Damn. that is a huge number. And it might not be ah. it might not be high enough to be completely honest with you. But China yeah. kind of takes yeah. the brunt of that in their analysis. And I think that's true. I think if you look at what the what most of the world, most of the developed world uh, did to Russia after the invasion of Ukraine uh, with the sanctions and things like that. I think China using what they're learning from that is looking at the situation with Taiwan and, and realizing that they would be next up. And China is actually much more sensitive to sanctions than Russia was even before that conflict kicked off. Right. China is right. the world's factory floor and they've set right. themselves up that way. And so for Russia, it's like, well, we can, we can still, you know, we can still produce oil. India will buy it. China will buy it. Saudi Arabia has been importing a lot of it. Um, we can still do largely what we were doing before the sanctions, but China is not in that position, not at all. And so, yeah, the risk to China is huge. They have to determine that it is worth that risk um, and it's worth, um, you know, this this supposed reunification with Taiwan is worth whatever they're going to lose in the process. So it's it's going to be a moment if or when they go against Taiwan. It's going to be a moment that has uh, staggering global implications. I they're think. only going to move if the U.S. doesn't get involved. Win. Even, right. I think so. And I don't think they're convinced that they can win. I think their lift is very much in question. Um, I think the most likely scenario and as me and my team have spent uh, untold thousands of hours on this. I think the most likely scenario right now is that um, China implements a blockade. And while either before the blockade kicks off or immediately after but kind of in that time frame, they also take Taiwan's outlying islands via amphibious assaults because it puts teeth to the blockade. If you're just blockading a nation, uh, they're going to try to break the blockade. Then you're going to have to decide, do I fire on civilian vessels, that kind of thing. And a lot of times if a, a country isn't sure what you're um, what you're willing to do to enforce the blockade, they'll they'll just run the blockades constantly. Right. And, and then they're ineffective. And I, I was in D.C. a couple of weeks ago and, and made this point to some folks uh, that I was meeting with there that if China blockades Taiwan, grabs those outlying islands, they prove that they can conduct amphibious operations. They prove that the blockade is real. They've taken physical ground. Um, and, and suddenly, if you're if you're sitting in Taiwan, uh, there's a lot of teeth on that blockade. And if you're the U.S., well, they're taking islands. Taiwan's next. There's a there's a blockade that we know they will enforce. So I think that's where we're headed with China. I do think China is going to make that leap. Um, we started saying in 2020, not publicly, sorry, um, we had private clients then, but we had virtually zero public presence um, back in 2020. But we were telling our private clients that the most likely the window of time 
that is most advantageous for China to make a move against Taiwan is late 2023 through 2025. That doesn't mean that they're going to take advantage of that window, but that is the window uh, of time where they have more advantages than they will have after 2025. And the reason for that primarily is because the U.S. is slowly pivoting to the Indo-Pacific. If you look at the we're rebuilding airstrips, uh, we're adding radar, we're adding air defenses. We're doing a, we're doing a lot more, I think, than folks realize in the Indo-Pacific uh, to prepare for this. But then you've got Japan, which would be involved, I believe, around Taiwan. Um, you've got Japan, Philippines, South Korea, Taiwan itself that, that all have major weapons programs, deliverables coming in after 2025. I mean, Japan's going to have uh, 500 additional Tomahawk missiles in 2026, and the list is extensive for the, for each for every one of these countries starting in about 2026. Their capabilities are going to be going through the roof, all of those Asian countries. And, and that's a huge negative for China because China's building up its own capabilities alongside that. But when you've got four or five, six other nations who are doing this exact same thing and you're looking at a five on one, six on one situation, and that's not even getting into India. India would be involved. And that's a huge concern potentially for China. So the longer they wait, the worse the odds, in my opinion, for China. Now, China has issues with lift, all the things that, that we've talked about. Right. There's there's real concern, I think, among the CCP of can we actually pull this off? And that's leading to delays. The war in uh, Ukraine and they're learning from that and they're observing the response to that. That's causing delays. Um, so I'm not necessarily predicting that China's going to go before 2025. But from a strategic perspective, from a probabilistic perspective, if they wait till after 2025, their odds are going to start declining. Yeah. I, I, Sorry, that, I that was that, that was long winded. Sorry. No, no, I, I'm sitting here eating it up because, um, in in my personal assessment of it, that that's kind of how I see it as well. Um, the the they're not going to make a move until they know they can win. Is is the way that they can boil that down. The way that that you can distill that down. Anybody can distill that down. Um, and that. They, they're going to have all the pieces in place first. Um, and so 2025, definitely, um, you know, you, you still, for all the listeners out there, you still got time to get your ducks in order, uh, you know, get, get your affairs in order, your ducks in a row. That's what I was trying to say. Um, but uh, a lot of that begins with knowledge and with foresight, and that is exactly what Knight's Bridge offers, brother. It is always great to have you in here. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is knightsbridge.ltd. Uh, you can check that out for sure. We send out what we call the Global Hotspot Report. Uh, each day, Monday through Friday, it is exactly what the name says it is, right? It is a Global Hotspot Report. We analyze uh, events, we analyze risk, war zones, you name it. And we put that into a uh, fairly concise report for our subscribers, right? It, you're not getting 10,000 words, right? Uh, we're, it's usually about 2,000 words and we'll cover eight to 10 topics a day. Typically, um, we monitor the, the categories or the global economy, the United States, Indo-Pacific, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Europe, Middle East, Latin America, Africa, 
in Canada every day. Now that's not, you know, you're not going to get something out of Canada every day. So it's not included every day, uh, but you get the idea, right? So this is our, uh, this is our collectors doing their collecting. We scrape up massive amounts of data and information every day. We analyze it from a nonpartisan, unbiased perspective. Um, we're really good and we put a lot of effort into mitigation of bias. That's that's our calling card more than anything else. So when you read the Global Hotspot Report, there's no agenda. There's no bias. Um, it is the facts of the matter, along with comprehensive analysis of then what this event means for you. Uh, on a global scale, uh, since this happened, now now what's next, right? That's that's our focus. So anyway, knightsbridge.ltd, you can get the report there. If you put in code SCALP, we'll give you a free month to try it out. No strings attached. Just give it a month. If you like it, awesome. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. Um, you can also find us on uh, social media platform X. It's at KBR underscore Intel. Um, my, my handle uh, on X is at Matt likes Intel if you want to follow me. But quite honestly, I don't post that much. The KBR underscore Intel is the one you want to, to jump over to. So that's what we do. That's what we do on the public side, subscription based. Um, we have a private client side with a wide variety of capabilities as well. If anyone's interested in that, knightsbridge.ltd uh, has a brief summary of our capabilities there. Right on, brother. Right on, folks. Take advantage of it. Have that foresight. Get out there. Get subscribed to that. Get that free month. You know, enter that promo code SCOUT, which I am very, very grateful uh, for. But definitely take advantage of this while you can. Get yourself prepared. Brushbeater.store training courses for the remainder of 2024 are up. And they are open for enrollment. I'm going to be traveling quite a bit coming up here for the remainder of the year, but everything is up there. It is set in stone. Look forward to training with you out there. And of course, all the equipment that you need, including night vision, thermal communications equipment, you name it. We got it. God bless. And I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Zensi Scout.